in the digital reality, evolution over revolution prevails. The QA approaches and techniques that worked yesterday will fail you tomorrow. So free your mind. The automation cyborg has been sent back in time. TED Speaker Jonathan Wright's mission is to help you save the future from bad software. The legendary Toby Marsden. Welcome to the show, Toby. How's it going? Thanks, Jonathan. Um, yeah, great to be with you. It's all good. Very cold here in the UK, though. But yeah, looking to warm it up with some talk today. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, well let's get into it because you're in Japan next week, right? I am. Yeah, I've got a, um, a, a trip to Tokyo next week to go and see some of our strategic partners. So yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, that's why I threw the, the title in there around digital excellence, right? Because I know you've been working with IDC uh, around putting together a, a new brief around digital excellence and, and how to achieve that. So, you know, it'd be a great topic to talk about and maybe share some of your thoughts uh, about what you're going to be discussing in Tokyo next week. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, as you say, always interesting to look at what's happening in the market. And I think, you know, you and I have worked together for many years and this the, the whole testing and QA of it, space just continuously to move, continues to move forward. So yeah, a, lot, a lot of interesting stuff we'll be talking about with the partners there. And obviously, as you say, we've been we've been working with IDC to try and research the market recently. Um, well, we've gone out and we've looked at, uh, you know, IT decision makers and operation decision makers across um, North America and Europe um, to really look at what is stopping and the barriers to how do we improve the way that we test. But obviously, same time, you know, how do we improve that QA dynamic working with the business? And, you know, like I say, you and I first met, what, 20 years ago when we, you know, when we were working together and, I still don't think we've quite solved it. You know, I don't think we're quite there yet. There's still a lot of great stuff happening, but is it really delivering what the business wants from a, a testing and QA perspective? Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. You know, we probably what um, you know when we kind of first you know started talking about this, you know, these were the Mercury days, right? Where you know QA was its own tranche and it was very siloed. It was an activity those products that and tools that were really designed just for that one activity, right? And not really a kind of an overall view of what does that actually mean across that organizational wide uh, scaling quality across the organization viewpoint. And I think this is what I, I thought took away from the, the, the report really was that, yeah, we're, we're not completely there yet, or even maybe we're 40% of the way of where we need to be. You know, we, I know we were both in, Last year, we were insuring with with Diego, and you know, he, he said he just said the same figures as we'd seen back in the nineties, right? Twenty percent coverage of automation testing, still not being able to keep up with the pace of delivery. You know, we've been talking about multimodal kind of operational models for a long time, and how to scale this to become enterprise wide. But really, there isn't a solution. This kind of just you know, everyone's going at it uh, with their own kind of you know, uh, successes and, and failures. Um, and maybe we're, we're, we're still suffering from that, you know, we're suffering from large scale implementations and quality and 100%. ownership of quality. Yeah, so, yeah, I think, so I, I think if you look at that, that by dynamic, it goes back to, like you say, the Mercury days, Jonathan, I think what, one of the things that we got, and we've, we're learning, right? This is a very infant, inf, you know, a new market and a new thing that we do. I mean, IT, 
in its own right really hasn't isn't been around that long you know 50 years of proper enterprise computing probably and we're still learning we're still understanding the business but one of the things i think we got quite you know quite wrong in those early days of of you know when we worked together was there was a there's a lot of governance and standards and central organizations that you must do it the way that i want to do it and yeah, as you say when you look across that what are, what are we trying to do we're trying to get products to market faster in the best way and what does the best way mean it means probably the, the lowest cost but best outcome but the highest quality um and when we did it in the old days of building these big organizational structures of coes and everything else that you know testing all goes through that central organization and no one else must do it it missed out business development operations users etc and you're kind of going yeah it was done for the right reasons it was all done for the right reasons but it didn't really help to solve the problem it helped to fix standards governance it helped to fix um you know skills because you had a centralized skills capability but didn't really help to do what's important and what's really important is that we deliver it applications and systems in the fastest most quality and, and cost-effective manner. Yeah, and I think that that's the whole the infinite triangle, right? Cost, speed, and quality, right? You know, yeah. you can choose two, you can't have all three, right? It's always that kind of view. And, and we've seen IT being a cost center really meant that every year, you know, it was all about operational efficiency. It was about reducing costs, you know, it was increasing speed. You know, all these dimensions had an effect. And I think part of it, it didn't really give you the the overall holistic viewpoint of how do you manage that at, at scale, right? And there's teams and uh, teams of teams. You know, these are huge and co complex risk, resilience, failure, you know, to your, damage to your brand. You know, yesterday I was, I was talking a little bit with, with Paul Gerard around um, the post office uh, kind of current issue right uh, in good large government systems and we've all been there you know we've we've seen the the difference between core it and fluid it in the old days where we're saying okay how do we you know help move from in essence that 60 percent of core it 30 percent uh you know fluid it where you're starting to take on agile and devops methodologies and then this 10 percent fail fast learn rapid Kind of new wave of doing things kind of what i'm doing in the lab at the moment is fail fast learn quick experiments you know we've seen the traditional it infrastructure being split out to it service management you know running and maintaining keeping the lights on um you know not really being there for innovation and and you know speed but really around secure and uh, safe kind of things and then we've tried to bring everyone on that journey to move them all to a single modal kind of approach, which is very fast, very DevOps, very site reliability engineering, chaos engineering, some of these aspirational models that might work with some large, well-known companies, but don't work for everyone. And then this, like you said, the shift from center of, of excellence and a central governance system to center of enablement, enabling the rest of the organization wide to adopt good print principles and practices, right? And, you know, we were on site yeah. with a, a, a well-known automotive cust customer, um, you know, last last week, right? And, you know, they said to us, you know, we've got six departments, 40 projects in each one of those departments all running simultaneously. 
all with this this operational governance around uh, digital excellence, right? Should we say for a second, which you know is is hard to quantify. And then you've got skills with different levels of skills, different levels of maturity, different levels of complexity, for, ranging from you know autonomous vehicles uh, and the next generation of EV technologies to maybe some more of the the PLM traditional. Uh, landscape that, that's still using headsets, right? So I think we were there talking about our, one of our systems we'd implemented, and they're using uh, XR devices in the PLM manufacturing process, right? So, you know, lots of very complex areas, and then, you know, the traditional kind of IT, uh, core IT application estates. You know, I know the report kind of really focuses on this kind of narrow kind of view of, I suppose, the success, that 20% success we've had in automation you know, very much on the, I'm going to call it low hanging fruit, but you know, the web based systems, you know, we've moved now into more complex systems, you know, NASA shuttle launch, you know, kind of these really kind of systems that require, you know, human validation. So, you know, again, another automotive customer of ours, we were, you know, validating, you know, at high speeds, you're turning into a corner on a track. Can you, you know, from a human computer interaction, see all of the different IVI systems, the customer we went to see actually has a, a an infotainment system that if you look at it from one direction, you get your heads-up display, cockpit, Apple CarPlay kind of landscape. You look at it from another, you see your infotainment, video streaming kind of, you know, uh, things. So, you know, multi-dimensions of, of, of complex digital experiences, you know, you can kind of understand why, you know, people have just gone after the low hanging. Oh, it, has it got a web page? Oh, 100%. You know, yeah. selenium, right? Well, this is the this is the thing I've always said, isn't it? You know, it is, if you go back, you know, probably when you and I first met, maybe a bit before, what, what was the environment? The environment was probably mainframe applications, client server, thick client systems, and you were just seeing the rise of web right and and the platform and the environment that you were testing was a lot simpler right yeah even in the web-based systems you were talking about windows no one really used mac operating systems I mean, unless you were some sort of a digital designer at that point right but you know it was all windows with a with an internet explorer browser right the business and environment we work in today is crazy right it's iot it's um it's digital system. It's like you say, it's we're starting to move into all of these next generation platforms and capabilities where, you know, from a testing perspective, you can't blame the testing team. The environment they've got to support now is just crazy. You know, we, 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 we built systems, early systems to help people to run business process. So the user bent to the system, right? You designed a workflow, the user used the workflow and you had to, the, you had to follow the system workflow. And if you didn't, you were stupid, mm. right? These modern environments that we're looking at, the customer facing, the user at the center, you the, the system bends to the user. Mm. You don't know whether I'm going to log in for my mobile phone and Amazon Alexa, my car, you know, whatever it's going to be in these modern interactions. And then the platform and the technology's got crazy as well, where this is really hard. This isn't something that is a simple problem to solve. I mean, it would never was a completely simple problem to solve, but it's now even infinitely worse right, in terms of the, the scenarios and things we've got to do. So it's it, back to that point is how do you, and, and I, you know, you know me and I've been a big advocate of the agile and the DevOps movements over the years. And how do you really, un, you, you understand that? And I think 
what what we you know what DevOps to me and Agile was trying to do was trying to move the the outcome closer to the business to the to the user because what's the business it really is the user whether it's an internal or external application right? you want to build something because you either want to build something that helps you do something better so automate an internal process you want to do something that helps you drive compliance but you're automating something you're automating something for a user or you're trying to release something new you're trying to attract external users into your company um, through innovation, through modern kind of approaches, through things that they're going to work with. If you start to release systems that are sp specific and tell the user that they're the ones that don't understand what you could be doing anymore, you've failed as a business. You've failed as a product owner. So that dynamic is really, really hard to manage. It's not something that yeah, we can criticize because it is so difficult to build. And I think there's a gap between for a while, there's always been a gap between IT and the business in terms of IT talks in its own language and the business talks in his language. And are they really working together to help to drive what the outcome should be, which would be you know, better, customer, better customer engagement or better employee productivity? And that's the dynamic. So, so we've still got a long way to go to break down those walls. Agile went way towards it. But did it really fix the the business planning, the business interaction cycle? No, it really helped the development team iterate and deliver value more continuously. You know, in, in some dynamics got better. DevOps was trying to extend that further to ensure that we didn't just think about building something, we actually thought about putting it in production at the same time. So we were trying to make the production loop more agile at the same time how do we quickly get it into production and focus on what's right but we don't think we've ever really solved this you know this enterprise app life cycle challenge yet and i think we've, we're all trying different techniques different tools different things but we've still got to get a focus on what's important and i think that that's where i i see it at the moment we're a long way to go to really fix that end-to-end -end cycle and yeah, you know, I, I don't. If you remember, I, about ten years ago, I started to reference things like Deming's total quality management kind of scenarios, where the manufacturing plants in the in the automotive industry kind of got it right. They they went from this kind of very manual thing with all these different stages of activity happening, but no one really collaborating to collaborating across that life cycle. But even now, in that automotive space, and you know, as we see with some of the clients today, are we? able to then say rather than what ford said back in the 1910 1920s yeah you can order anything as long as it's black you know and it's a model t in black now can it be different colors can it have all these different scopes these specs these etc and i think we're getting there mm. it's got that way to go to really kind of industrialize the process of, of software release and software manufacturing and bringing it much more closely aligned to the user requirement and the, and the ex expectations of the business. And I think we're getting there, but we're not, you know, there's a, there's a way to go. You know, we're not as automated as we should be. We're not as integrated as we should be, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you've just, you've just added kind of, you know, something we've been talking about for a while, right? Which is this kind of, this ATA vision, this automated test assurance vision, right? Is that, you know, I know we've talked even maybe 10, 15 years ago, we were talking about this executive scorecard kind of level in, you know, you see risk, you mitigate risk by spending money, time, effort, whatever it may be to 
to help and understand organizationally wide what the challenges are, right? And, you know, dashboards and, and, and things like that. And it maybe was a bit of a pipe dream. You know, we saw the introduction of value stream management, which again is exactly what you're talking about, understanding where the value and how that flows or flow as a, as a kind of an organizational wide, another book to kind of talk about, you know, how you can improve that. And then, you know, I think you, you've kind of brought up a really good point still is that maybe, you know, IT is still an enabler and a cost center and it's not fully integrated into the business that actually the factory models and, you know, agile and DevOps have still been IT wide. They've not opened up to the business. You know, we used to see IT for IT, you know, we'd see ITIL, you know, uh, safe, very much focused on trying to improve that, but did they really penetrate through? And, you know, if you were mm. thinking from a quality stream management perspective of understanding all of this information that's happening around risk and, and uh, insight that you need for an organization to keep up at the speed it does. And I think this was kind of, it wasn't just COVID, this was the digital transformation age where we were kind of saying, well, actually, you know, if it takes you 14 months to respond to a competitor, who's bringing something net new to the, uh, into the industry, then, you know, that pivot could cost you a large amount when it talks about customer and revenue, right? And even yeah. ability, agility, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's not saying that we all have to be able to release at X amount of times a day, but I think what we're talking about is the touch points and interaction period between customers and or, and, or users, right? And I, I think yeah. that may be where, this has kind of gone a little bit, again, siloed. You know, we're getting this information, yeah. operational information coming in from service incident management. I'm going to go back to the, the, the post office example for a second. They have thousands and tens of thousands of calls into their service management, incident management systems, telling them there was something wrong. Mm. However, that never got to the point where it fell, fed back into what is, in essence, a, a, a run the, the post office kind of entity versus a build net new project. We had this kind of this external entities where we started pushing. It was cheaper to do work offshore. So let's move those into people bidding. Again, bidding very aggressively to reduce costs, operational costs, um, and really focus on, you know, shipping out some of that development and even, you know, the operational work. Yep. And I don't know if we've ever brought all that back in because there's a certain level of trustworthiness of, you know, if I'm giving you some information, the dashboard's green, 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 then it's red. You know, it, that's not that, that's not the level of trust which you want. You want to be able to pass that information and, and provide insurance around it and make decisions, actionable decisions that say, you know, yeah. based on the information I've got, we may have a problem here, right? And I think yeah. a lot of people who have got this pressure on the back of their shoulders where they're not sure whether or not a system that they've released into a, a is going to be is fit for purpose, right? And a lot more yeah. pressure on minimum viable product, getting the product into people's hands, at maybe not over overseeing the quality engineering blueprints that you know we should be adopting yeah. to be able to push back with the evidence that we need to say, look, you know, pull the cord. This should not be happening, right? And and I think yeah. that's where I kind of feel we are is that. This is again, you know, the IT is, you know, becoming its own island uh, away from the business that really actually really cares about this, right? They care yeah. about 
their customers. They care about their operational, you know, um, agility that gives them the ability to bring something to market to delight their customers. Yeah. And then also be able to respond to, you know, uh, environmental or, you know, demands, time time sensitive demands to, from, from their customers for incidents that are happening in the real world. Yeah. And they need it, but, you know, maybe they're losing more and more confidence in IT's ability to deliver, right? And yeah. I think that's where I feel like we've got to, you know, but then we've got the magical kind of question to say, some of that is a testing activity. Um, well, it's, it's back to like you say, is it's, it's things like, do we view QA and testing as a enabler? Yeah. Or do we see it as a cost and, a, and a, just a necessity? Right. And I, and you're, you've, you've put a few terms out there that you and I've talked about a lot is quality engineering for starters. So you can't just test at the end of doing something and expect it to all go right. You have to engineer the process of quality into your your delivery stream to your point as well is is qa and testing a critical enabler yes but we've seen it too much as a oh we've just got to do it kind of exercise right you know we're in that it's a necessity and we must do it because the business is asking for quality where actually if you start engineering it in it becomes an enabler it becomes a critical role in enabling your business to do things faster and and i think you know you again Looking at some of the terms you you kind of put out there as well, you know, ITIL and SAFE and you know all these different things, did they really address the the quality conundrum? Because I can tell you, when I was working with the guys around the Open Group IFE to IT, IT standards, we were having a lot of discussion there around, well, with, you know, change is risk, and we want to lock down change and make it more stable. Or actually, if we embedded testing and quality engineering into that ITIL kind of lap fan fabric, the IT for IT fabric, then we would have been better. Now that's evolved massively, right? I'm talking back to ITIL version two and three, and we're now further down the line. So say we are constantly trying to evolve and improve, but are we there? And are we seeing QA and testing as an enabler, embedding it in the regular processes and driving it? I don't think we're there yet. The research that we, we've kind of driven is, you know, we're not there yet, you know, is our, our are people completely there? Well, the research showed us that about 50% of people agree that it is an enabler. But if only 50% of people agree, that's a lot of people that don't. Right? It's kind of, so how do we do that? How do we kind of evolve it? How do we continue to build on what we've been driving? I think is a, is a critical point for the future. Yeah. And, and, and you know, moving the future forward, obviously, we're always excited about talking about new stuff. And as you know, reason why i've been locked in a in a in a cage for the last uh, couple of quarters is we've been doing a whole stuff around ai augmented testing right which is at the moment the top of the gartner wave for software de development right our software engineering mm -hmm. um and this is very much centered around people right and i, I think this is the interesting thing is the human in the loop aspect of <clears throat> How do you do more with less? You know, this is the pressure that everyone is under every day. But actually, how do you share knowledge, right? And I think, you know, you've been a big, big advocate, even from kind of the start of your career at CAST and, and organizations like that, is that actually shared knowledge is really important, right? You know, part mm -hmm. of a shared understanding uh, and also feedback loop is essential. And that's where, mm -hmm. you know, the UML side of things started coming in and, in the early 90s and then you've kind of got to this point where 
modeling and understanding system design uh, for, for uh, and then getting the business architectural kind of blueprints. Now, a lot of that kind of disappeared, right? You kind of got what we used to laugh about throwing things over the wall with the deployment team is it's that same thing with the business now. You kind of got this, you know, I, I'm able to do a post-agile shape methodology where we all sit down in a in a funky on beanbags and talk about, you know, what I envision my application to look like. And, and then the next thing is it all, you know, reaches to the same, well, what's the latest technology of, you know, uh, capability? Oh, well, we'll do a blockchain or we'll do a crypto app or we'll do, mm -hmm. and it gets to that point, which is what's going to look great on my CV. It's not a sensible, well, what's going to be there and built to last for 20, 30 years, or does it need to even last for 30 years? You know, I think the conversations and the frequency and, and the share of knowledge is probably, you know, is partially reduced. And then, you know, I think now we're looking at technologies like generative AI and we're saying mm -hmm. to ourselves, is there any valid use cases within quality engineering where actually having human augmentation uh, and an augmented intelligence could be really powerful? It could help assist people and fill in some of those knowledge gaps. And, you know, yeah. I'd say this as maybe the future of knowledge workers is yeah. you, you, you think of a post-agile kind of team. These teams sometimes have satellited people drop, dropping in who don't have full un understanding. You know, we've grown up with single points of failure, you know, who know yeah. the system inside out. How can you yeah. be a knowledge worker without consuming huge amounts of information about incredibly complex systems? And I think this is where AI augmented testing could potentially enable human you know human augmentation of intelligence that would yep. maybe give us a chance to fill in some of these blanks that we've had from you know i'm not gonna call it bad requirements but i'm, I'm gonna call it about maybe communication issues yeah. throughout the, the last three decades yeah yeah no look, I, as you say it's just kind of weird and across my career where i've gone is i've gone from system design to, to requirements to system you know all these different things and into testing qa and release and everything else and absolutely i think you know one of the things that everyone got freaked out with with the early days of uml and dsdm kind of principles etc was we spent far too long in the design phase and uh, analyzing and designing a system and nothing was written and by the time we've written some code and released something the business had moved on and they didn't want what we were writing anyway right now there's some systems don't get me wrong that need that level of rigor right you absolutely wouldn't want to design a system in an airplane that's going to control it falling out of the sky or something that's going to potentially do something that people get injured without that level of rigor mm -hmm. so there's a level of rigor and stuff we've got to do but in that kind of modern system where we're talking about you know, interfacing with users and doing things quickly and making things more modern, et cetera, we, we, that wouldn't work, right? So that that principle's there. And, you know, we did some, you know, that was great. And it was hard because once you'd gone from modeling to then design, actually releasing code, your model was out of step with the code and it was all a mess. And how are you going to update what the business wants? And then you've talked about requirements, you know, are we really defining requirements that the rest of the teams in the end-to-end the, the -end chain can utilize, right? You know, you're writing something down over here, but then you go, and we've tried to solve those with Gherkin and BDD and TDD techniques, etc. You know, but we're still at that point, right? So, you know, and like you say, where do I think Gen AI can really help? Now, what, what I was surprised at with DevOps, and this is one of the things, is like, 
we're going to suddenly create this mythical unicorn of a person that understands the business and really understands the technical nature of how to do the implementation and testing and everything else. And, and there, there may be a few out there, you know, really highly paid developers in certain areas that kind of get it. But the reality is there's not, they're not there. They're either a specialist in the business or they're, they're a specialist in the technical nature of how you deliver and implement applications. So I think like you say, is I think where there's a real opportunity for Gen AI and, and like you've been working on, is how do you actually bridge the gap between them? You know, how do you provide domain expertise that translates both sides and enables people on both sides of that equation to collaborate more effectively and work effectively? Because you get that right, then you're suddenly in a game-changing world. Right? You're suddenly in a scenario where you can that tool, that thing or that product or whatever you want to call it can help to the, the, the business people do things better their side. It can help take what the business is doing and translate it to the technical side and help them do it as well. You get that right, then you suddenly start to break down some of the, the I think one of the big barriers with, you know, we talk, we talk shift left for years, you and I, right? You know, let's shift it left, but how far left did we get? Well, we maybe got into the early part of the dev phase, but did we really get into the business analysis and designing phase? Nah, no, but you know, I think you've talked. You know, you and I talk very at length about it. I, I've always advocated just testing the requirements, testing the business requirements and workflows to understand: do they make sense? Would they ever be able to be implementable? You know, should we maybe change those things? And I think we're getting to that point where. If we can shift again another step left, the benefits of doing that are going to be groundbreaking in, in any business is how do you translate the subject matter of the business into something the IT and the, the technical teams can take to be able to build that into something that can be put into an automation scenario and really help to speed up that chain, that pipeline of stuff that's always going to flow through from here to here. Right. You know, and, and, you know, bringing that together, I think, is going to be game changing. I really do. I think the benefits and the ROI and the returns that people will get from doing that will just be overwhelming for most people. Because that's, you know, and that's, you know, where you see all of these kind of complaints coming in today. You sort of go, well, it's never fast enough. Or it didn't quite deliver on what I said. Or you, you guys spent too much money. Or it's all, you know, and, and you kind of look at it going, this is hard, guys. This is really hard because you're translating what people in the business are talking about to how IT can support you. Now, back to engineering and QA, if you can bring those guys right into the heart of it, why would you do that? Because you're unifying the user experience at the start of the process. Because that's what QA and testing is trying to do. It's trying to take into account you and me as a user and how we would benefit from functional performance security aspects within our systems. It's really taking that user into account. That's why dev teams kind of hate QA sometimes because they're kind of going, well, you're just trying to break it. Going, we're not trying to break it. We're trying to put it into the real world scenario over here and we're trying to test it in that manner. And I think that's where we've got to go. Great that we've got kind of that functional level and the unit level and stuff happening to make sure we're not producing bad code we've got to elevate up now we've got to go to a process level a business outcome level a user level we've got to try and connect the dots and you know i always hate everyone tells me to stop using the analogy of a v model right but but i always looked at it as dev to outcomes down here code to did it work but 
what's the business requirement up here to the user requirement up here and how do you connect those dots now using the analogy of a v model will get shot again because you know people <laughs> in, the, in the agile devops world will go toby that's legacy it's waterfall stop using that analogy and like you say with what we've done is what we really did you and i looking at that ata messaging was flipped it on its head and said actually the top outcome for an, you know the ata the automation test assurance is business to business connection points and then you've got those technology connection points so i think huge opportunity here to connect that back and shift it even further left with a business understanding using ai definitely yeah i love it and i, I think that's a, a good place to kind of talk about the the report and you know they talk about value-based testing and all the kind of great stuff that you can check out on that but you know i just want to kind of summarize what you said because i think it's really powerful in the sense of shifting very left, <laughs> call it for a second. Um, you know, obviously, I kind of started talking about shift right. You know, I wasn't the massive advocate for shift left because I did see it stop in that kind of S dead landscape. Yeah. Um, stop dead in S dead, you know, it, it rhymes. But, you know, part of it is we saw that like literally last week where we were on site with uh, a large automotive customer. They were they're talking about the, they weren't advocating for an S dead kind of technical resource that was there testing at the that level they were talking about testing much earlier in the life cycle like you said to the business level and then also the business business valid validation or test for business testing but you know then you know bringing in uh that shared understanding uh, uh, uh between those people and i think partly what you're talking about and it's kind of where we started with the what we were previously calling the synthetic domain expert was normalizing the language between these different stakeholders, right? So yeah. you've got the business stakeholder here who maybe doesn't understand what Kafka is, right? Yeah. You know, and maybe they don't see the benefit of, you know, or the challenge from an operational perspective of, of putting that into different geo locations and, and challenges around deployment. Yeah. There's multi-dimensional facets, but in essence, they need to all have a shared understanding, a shared model, shared kind of vision of what's going to happen. Now, we've been talking probably, what, well, the last five years since you've been at Eggplant around digital twins, right? You know, create a digital twin. And what the difference really is between a digital twin and maybe standard model-based testing kind of or modeling, model-driven design and, and things uh, is, is that this becomes a living entity, a model of a system and system interactions, digital interactions through that system. And that is highly complex, right? That's multi-dimensional, and it's kind of you can look at it from one viewpoint of I'm a you know a business architect, or I'm actually a you know customer success manager, or I'm an end user. What does that look like for me? And we can all agree on that digital twin, you know. And we've yeah. seen the benefits of digital twins in manufacturing to be able to yeah. run experiments against those kind of really complex systems of systems. And I think that's what we're trying to do is if you're able to bring the knowledge of how you your special source and how your system works and how all that legacy, all that inherited knowledge and wisdom. Right? I, I said this kind of yesterday in the sense of information is just dots of, of, of uh, that aren't joined together. Yeah. Knowledge is connecting those dots, which then you would have where your you're humans usually in the loop is the wisdom of seeing where those those interactions and the information and the knowledge is overlapped to say that's just not going to work not going to work for us or it's not going to work for our customers you know wisdom it isn't going to be something you're going to see any kind of you know ai augmented testing platform bring anytime soon but it's yeah. where the human is in the loop to validate and verify yeah. that everything that 
is being expressed by all stakeholders and all permutations is correct. And we believe in this source of truth of a very, you know, unique system, system design. And I think that's really quite exciting because, you know, what we, we talked about, and it, it's kind of your last point on there was time to value or, you know, total test cost ownership or, or any of these terms which we could probably look at. Um, is the value-based testing aspect is if you're mm -hmm. saying to me, and I had this same conversation with the CTO of a large crowd testing company yesterday, I said, you know, if you're paying, you know, crowd testers to write tests, design mm -hmm. tests, let's talk about the test design phase for a second, and that's going to take 50% of their time. And then the actual testing aspect, all the additional tertiary activities, which just isn't just test execution and all the other steps, you know, if 50% of your time up front is spent on test design and these people aren't specialists in the system that you're asking them to test this week, which could be a medical system, for instance, or a or aerospace and defense or an automotive IVI system or, a you know, a retail app, you know, they're not domain experts. They're going to struggle giving you the correct design, you know, uh, you know, uh, test designs. And I think We've always, unfortunately, from an automation landscape, we've always focused the test execute, test execution and, and test maintenance bit, which is maybe 15, 20% of the overall, you know, total amount of cost of, of testing, right? And yeah. I think we need to start changing it because everyone else is releasing faster. We're seeing people yeah. like, you know, things like Copilot coming in and, you know, giving 7 8% improved productivity for, for developers. We need the same co-pilot technology for us. We need the same, you know, uh, acceleration using AI and generative capabilities to, to give us better test designs, you know, deduplicate tests, avoid over-testing, you know, really accelerate some of those tasks, which, you know, typically have been highly manual. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the supporting apps, getting test data, getting environmental management, you know, the whole, you know, the whole life cycle, which we've, condensed previously and measured really just in tests being executed and the question is why right what's the value in that what's the value of having a thousand tests versus ten thousand tests right yeah. it's so hard to understand coverage yeah. uh, to understand you know link that to customer satisfaction scores link that to your you know velocity um, and you know and then you know the, the total cost of ownership of maintaining that kind of effort so yeah. you know so complicated dimensions and i think that's where the report tells you a lot about that that's how it kind of summarizes it at the end Correct. but also i think this is what we've kind of we were asking is you know what's the value of what you have today you know and if you're just looking at regression testing and not it's failed before and you're maintaining these huge test frameworks death styles of test frameworks that you know are taking huge amounts of time of SDEDs maintaining them changing and doing you know healing the expaths and, and all this kind yeah. of manual effort are you spending the time on the right place when Correct. you should yeah. be maybe moving into you know AI augmented testing and focusing on the human value where you can add in to value-based testing well I think yeah and, you know on that point yeah if you know if I when I think about this from you know, so how I kind of think about it in my head is where's the value for what you're doing, right? Where, where is the real value? It's at release, isn't it? So you start to gain the value. So realistically, and I've always had this kind of picture in my head of a graph that says 
no matter what it is from requirement, you know, a release cycle, maybe you put it into this release sprint or you put it into this program release cycle, it's all cost. At that point, you, everything you're doing is you're spending money to, and you're constantly spending. At some point, you're going to stop spending as much money and then you're going to try and hit a release date for whatever it is, new functionality, new thing, new application, whatever, right? Update, upgrade. It's all going to be cost. I'm building costs. I'm spending money. I'm spending money. When do you get business value? You get business value at a release. It then starts to go up above the line in terms of value. So all of this is a cost, sunk cost, and at this point, it's value. So it's your point, right? And when you look at the metrics that we do from a testing and QA perspective, and you just kind of highlight this is got a thousand tests, I'm going to run them. I found 20 defects. Is that good? Well, I've run a thousand tests, I've found 20 defects. And does that associate itself with business value? Well, it associates the value of testing. I've done some work and I've found some problems. That was why I laid out my testing strategy to be. Oh, great. Okay. But actually, someone then has got to go, and they're just, in my mind, they're technical debt, right? Someone's going to go and take those defects and fix them. They're just another set of technical debt, more cost. But the value is when people start using the applications, the services, and the things that we're rolling out. And, and that, I, I feel, is one of the, and you've kind of highlighted, one of the problems we see in, in QA and testing today is a lot of the way we report it is sunk cost, right? It's... How much have I done and how much have I found? And even when we do how much have I done, how much have I found, it's more cost because we've got to fix the problems we found, right? Whereas actually, if you start aligning the value of QA and testing the business value metrics, so you start thinking about what's important to the business, it's CSAT scores, it's customer adoption rates, it's, um, I don't know, you know, those types of scenarios where you're looking at cost-effective aspects of the business and you start trying to align the process and the cost of that back to that, then you start to really understand the value of quality engineering and testing because it's mm. embedded in your your process to get you more value on that after release on that right hand side on the production side of the of the process, right? And that's how you say. So anything we can do to improve the interface with the business to capture the right things, so we're spending us the right time on the right things in that cost cycle, and anything we can do to align the value of what we do with QA engineering to the business value metrics on the right hand side is got to help because you know that that when you still look at it today, we're kind of yeah, and it is a hard thing to do. It's why you can't do. You know, there's lots of people that have different opinions and different ways to do this. No one's right or wrong, but when you start to focus on those types of things about how do I engineer in the right way in the front end of that delivery process that I'm doing the right things at the right time. And then how do I align to what the business wants to see from a value perspective on the right-hand side of that, where suddenly you're saying, well, actually, I'm helping the business to get better adoption. I'm helping the business to retain customers. I'm helping the business to get better customer satisfaction dynamics. Then you're in a different world of a discussion in terms of how you do this stuff. So, yeah, and, you know, I say AI to me is is going to be a game changer in this business. It's going to absolutely realign everyone's thinking towards those paradigms. How do I align better pre-production and how do I align better post-production with business outcomes? If you get that right, I mean, you know, we're taking a 50-year step forward in two years with this kind of technology. Well, uh, and I think that's the, the, a great place to, to summarise that, you know, we've got, 
two no new product introductions this year. One of them is going to be an AI augmented uh, testing tool, which is, you know, very close to completion. The next two, three weeks, it's it's, it's that exciting. And it no does pressure. exactly that. And no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure to do. But it does exactly that, right? And, and, and I think these are exciting times. And, you know, we have these hype waves and sometimes we don't see really the benefit realization of the opposite side of it, right? But what I think you've just nailed uh it, with the inverted uh v model a model um and uh, <laughs> which you can't use as a, a full term um is that we're changing the dynamic right completely and that if you're still in a year's time reporting the amount of tests and the amount of defects um based on regression and you your highly operational death star open source fr test framework um and sunken costs then you're not adding value-driven testing and you're, you're not doing value-driven delivery and you may not be around, you know, in five, 10 years because the pressure is going to be around, show me what, what we're adding to it, right? Show us how you are mitigating costs and, and risk and, you know, providing assurance uh, around the systems uh, that we trust uh, and, you know, uh, we're seeing now in, in the news that having an effect on, you know, humans, uh, end users and brands uh, that we trust. And so, you know, there's a, a brave new world, you know, there's a lot of fear, I guess, around AI and how AI is going to change that, but it isn't taking away people's jobs. It's enabling them to have superpowers to do more, uh, and, you know, be able to understand more around business and domain and industry and complexity like never before. So, you know, Massive thanks, Toby, for joining us. You know, I know you're probably going to now be rushing off, flying to Tokyo, and now doing the exact same talk over there in 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 perfect Japanese, right? Absolutely, yeah. Brushing off on it in the background now, but yeah, no, my pleasure. Great to see you again, and um, great to talk to everyone.